When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to another edition of THN on the Cube, brought to you by MGM. I'm Will, he's Jamie, and of course, behind the scenes, our ever-so-patient producer, Connor Somerville, who's uh, currently uh, hanging off of uh, the every word of the uh, announcers on Sportsnet, uh, because he is watching the Leafs and the Lightning uh, play game one We're recording. Tonight, of course. Um, so uh, I'm not expecting a whole lot of input from him, but we've got a lot of input for you. It's been two weeks. Our uh, unbeaten streak, our Phil Kessel-like streak uh, podcast recording came to an end last week um, for unknown reasons. Um, you'll have to speak up. I'm wearing a tan, uh, but uh, I am back um, from a fun little uh, trip in the sunny South, went to Jamaica for nine nights and uh, the weather was great. The food was great. The beverage was great. I actually made it down there this time. This is supposed to happen at Christmas, um, but uh, enough about me. Let's talk about you, Jamie. You actually went somewhere that's almost as exciting as yeah, Jamaica. Almost, almost you as far south. Almost as far south. You made the long journey <laughs> to Yarmouth, Nova Scotia, yep. to the venerable fish tank, a.k.a. the Mariner Center at 45 Joe Shelley uh, Drive, by the way, to watch the Yarmouth Mariners, the Edmonston Blizzard in game one, game two, sorry, the uh, Maritime Junior A final. Thoughts? It was a good, it was a great game. Uh, 7-5 final. Uh, Yarmouth was up 3 nothing at one time. At one point, it looked like it was going to be kind of a blowout. Then Edmonston really turned it around. Um, then it was back and forth in the third period. And uh, I believe Ben Rood, uh, former first round pick in the queue, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tetons, spent some time with the Sea Dogs as well, uh, mm-hmm. scored the game winner. Uh, so Yarmouth's up 2 nothing, looking pretty good. Uh, great, great atmosphere. Uh, really small building. Um, so it's pretty good atmosphere. Uh, sold out crowd, 1,501. Not sure how they got like that one extra seat in there, but. Uh, <laughs> great game uh, I'm glad back, I guess. Yep. Yes. <laughs> slowly making my way through the MHL uh, I got two rinks left now I still haven't been to Picto and uh, still haven't been to Campbellton which is kind of weird but, wow uh, two rinks that I've actually been in go yeah. figure I feel very one of them for an actual hockey game so, wow Picto oh, County nice. Wellness Center saw an yep. MHL finals game there one year and uh, the Campbellton Civic Center at 44 Salmon Boulevard in beautiful downtown Campbellton. Was there for the draft one year when I was the comms guy for that league. So uh, join Jamie on his latest adventure as he troopses through the Maritimes. But uh, speaking of journeys, let's talk about something that has changed quite a bit since last time we were on the air, and that is the QMJHL playoffs. Last time uh, we all spoke, it was towards the latter stages of the first round for most teams. I think we had just wrapped up games three. We were in the midst of game three for most of those series. Most of those series were over fairly quickly thereafter. Uh, Moncton and Bay Camo were the only ones that could stretch it to a full seven. Happy to say, by the way, 
while in Jamaica, actually was able to get CHL TV on my phone and did watch the overtime of that game seven, which Moncton, of course, won on a, um, well, their goal, their goal was, was very, very good. The Max Barbashev overtime. Uh, Celebration was good too. Great Almost celebration. Took out Steinman's legs. Took out Jacob Steinman. <laughs> um, had a little controversy earlier on. Yes. Uh, in that uh, overtime, uh, Bakemo probably thinks that they should be playing the Quebec Rampire right now. And I guess I can't really blame them. Sorry, people in Moncton. But uh, I'm glad. I'm glad I was like my entire time I watched that. I was like, I'm so glad I'm not the person reviewing this video right now and yes. making this decision. I'm sure like that's got to be like the worst nightmare for the league. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, it comes back to. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the ref's call is the first, yeah. the real, really the first uh, uh, action that everything else uh, revolves around. It's that domino effect. And if he calls it no goal on the ice, which Mario Maia called it no goal on the ice, then now you got to find conclusive evidence to overturn it. And according to the video goal judges, they didn't have it. Um so, you know, at the end of the day, it, it is what it is. And unfortunate for Bay Camo, who, um, you know, that, that, that's probably one of the best series I've ever seen or totally. followed totally. in all levels of the game. Five overtimes. Yep. And it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the Wildcats uh, end up uh, advancing to round two, facing the Halifax Mooses. And they're the only lower-seeded team so far that's picked up a win in any of those four, se- those four series. Uh, they uh, three of those four series have resumed tonight. Uh, ironically, Halifax Moncton is the only one that has not. Um, the other three, Sherbrooke with a two nothing lead over Gatineau, or over Gatineau, over Drummondville, Gatineau with a two nothing lead over Randa, Quebec with two nothing lead over Ramouski, and all three of those teams currently, as we record, with leads in their respective games as well over those lower seeded op- opponents. So you know, outside of the hiccup and. Uh, uh, the hiccup of Moncton winning game one, and quite frankly, Halifax were back to win game two, seven to one. Uh, Jamie, you know, we've talked about that, you know, the top four really since the trade deadline. And we've seen almost no evidence except for the game one win by the Wildcats. That's going to be anything but top four in round three. Yeah, honestly, a pretty boring round two so far, which isn't overly surprising. Um, those top four teams are, are, so far, anyway, clearly the top four teams, um, and that that game one game that Halifax had, Halifax was <laughs> a bit of a bit of a disaster in that game. Just couldn't do pretty much anything right, um, mm-hmm. and then completely turned it around um, in game right. two. So I, I don't think there's anything really too concerning there either. Um, but I, I I don't think I could see maybe all these series going to game five. But I, I'd be shocked if if any of them go past five. To be honest, at this point. Yeah, a fair assessment, I think. You know, you've got uh, um, Sherbrooke, who's handled Drummondville uh, quite handily. Drummondville gave him a bit of a scare in the first period. And I, I want to rewind a little bit here because, you know, it has been a couple of weeks since we've we've uh, been speaking. Um, you know, sometimes you get a thought in the back of your head and you just ignore it. And you don't go with your instinct and I, i'm gonna say that loosely for, for what i'm about to follow up with here but let's go back to the first round here into the drum of voltageur uh, who faced off against victoriaville who were really the consensus fifth overall team 
in the league. Um, there was a bit of a drop-off for sure between the top four and Victoriaville, but Victoriaville was a solid number five mm-hmm. for sure and solid number three in the Western Conference. And I remember looking at that and just knowing, you know, Victoriaville, they kind of wobbled a little bit towards the end of the regular season, but they mm-hmm. still had a great roster, you yep. know, a lot of production up and down the line of great goaltending. And he had Drummondville, who was just a disaster most of the season, you know, literally, you know, heads rolled uh, throughout the year. And, you know, it kept hearing a lot of things from a lot of people, much but the same talk, you know, playing a great group of individuals, but they're playing like individuals. But, you know, this team, they did have a bit of a, a warm streak, we won't call it a hot streak, towards the end of the season. But, you know, we talked about it with Corey Arsenault before the playoffs began. Uh, I was speaking to an NHL scout for an article for the Quebec League site. And I kind of phrased it from a situation because I thought in the back of my mind, you know, this series, I didn't think Drummondville would win. But I thought maybe this series will go a little bit longer than people think. Mm -hmm. And the consensus was no, it's not going any further. In fact, Drummondville is going to disappoint. And here we are. And that it, you know, I, it's one of those situations where I think, you know, not to say that people overlook the obvious or overlook, you know, all the factors. But um, I will say this much for myself. I was pretty adamant as well that Victoriaville would win. But after they lost, I wasn't totally blown bowled over by the fact that the Voltageur actually won that series. No, I don't think so either. And, um, you know, if you had to rank the series most likely to be an upset, I think that was probably going to be near that, nearly a higher end, I would say. Um, and I, I like what you said in the previous episode, Will. Um, beware of the good team with a bad record. Like, I feel like Drummondville's like pretty much that, the picture of that team. Um, still got some really good pieces in there. Um, just couldn't put it together this season. And, you know, they just had to put it together for a few games, really, to win a series. Um, and it kind of feels like they did that. Um, and like I mentioned uh, in our last episode, too, I mean, these, these are guys who are kind of fighting for roster positions for next year. We don't really know what's going to happen with the Volts um, this offseason. Um, mm-hmm. Plus, I mean, completely new slate. They know that this was this was a bit of a disastrous season, uh, but completely new slate, uh, and they kind of made the most of it. Yeah, and a feather in the cap of Eric Belanger as well in his uh, uh, debut as, uh, as a coach at the major junior level period, let alone with the Voltigeur getting that series win and in five games no less very tidy uh series for the voltageur and uh, uh for for posterity i guess we'll mention that they are uh, trailing sherbrooke one nothing early in the second period as of the time of this recording gatna with three one lead over Rand rand after one period quebec leading Ramuski two to none congratulations on the ruin randa huskies and this is going to sound awfully backhanded but i guess we'll go there congratulations on scoring your first goal in that series in game number three um i did not expect that one jamie not so much the gatineau would have a two nothing lead and be leading in game three at this point that doesn't surprise me at all the whole ruin Miranda not scoring a goal after being one of the low-key better offensive teams in the league this year and getting their app the absolute wheels blown off in the first two games, especially game two, yeah. when they were outshot fifty-nine to twelve. Didn't see that one quite coming. Yeah, and I, I think it says maybe more about how good Gatno is. I feel like Gatno is just on a real tear right now. Even though they lost that game in the first round of St. John, you know, they've they've looked really good this postseason. And they've they've done all of this the scary part. They've done all this against Ruin Randall without Noah Warren, who's done for the playoffs. Imagine if they mm-hmm. had 
one of their best defensemen uh, added to that lineup as well. Um, and La Pena, I think, has been pretty good. Um, hardly hardly face any shots in the last good game. Good when he but, has to be. <laughs> but he's good when he has to be. Um, and, you know, you talk to – I know people are probably tired of hearing about it, but you talk to goaltenders all the time who face very few shots on very good teams, and that's a challenge mm-hmm. uh, sometimes. So uh, La Pena's looked pretty good. And that's something that actually Patrick Waugh has said before about uh, William Russo, because it's a very similar situation with Quebec Rampart, who have their 2-0 series lead, and as of right now, up in Game 3 over the Ramuski Oceanic, in a series that everybody thought was going at least 6, maybe 7 in the first round when they faced Shikudami. You know, Jamie, you know. The big ice. The big ice is going to make all the difference. And Ramuski uh, won all three games on the big ice. That's Made, it made a difference. Beausoleil <laughs> <laughs> apparently uh, could be a great uh, Olympic coach as well. Yeah. He knows how to manipulate that, that extra few feet of, uh, of width. So uh, uh, now, you know, now he's back on the smaller ice, though, so things aren't working quite so well. Uh, but um, in all seriousness, know, Quebec, uh, much like the other two uh, uh, top-ranked Quebec teams in, in Gatineau and Sherbrooke, just kind of doing what we expected, you know, Ramuski, I think is keeping things as respectable as they can, given the makeup of the two rosters, but uh, Quebec simply um, uh, not looking uh, uh, out of sorts at all uh, in the first two games of this series. Yeah, and, uh, you know, if Ramuski, I think if they can keep it, this series, you know, the score is kind of respectable and they can stay in the games. I think that's kind of a success for Ramuski in this series. Um, I, I think they're a long shot to win it. Uh, so they'll probably come back and win four games after me saying this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, kind of like last year, I think last year they, they played Quebec in the second round, I believe, too, after beating mm-hmm. St. John. So kind of a similar situation. Um, but, you know, this isn't Ramuski's year. Ramuski's years are, are the next couple to come. So uh, another mm-hmm. good experience to play a really good team and see what level they have to reach. Mm-hmm. And by the way, uh, just before we uh, go off on to, on to the next uh, uh, segment here, um, uh, two things that kind of tie in together here. Number one, kudos to the St. John Sea Dogs for putting on their $7 ticket promotion uh, for game four of that series, or game five of that series, I should say. And getting a very full building was it around five thousand, James? Yeah, it's close to is forty seven hundred. Yeah, forty seven hundred. Like excellent marketing ploy there. Everything you know, the team, you know, it was um, it was a loss. It was a one sided loss, but I mean, you know, that's the reality of the situation uh, with the dogs yeah. this year. But at least they had a good send off from a nice big crowd, yep. um, which is more than what we can say for the Moncton Wildcats, uh, who. Uh, did not exactly bring in the biggest crowds. And uh, I know uh, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, you may be familiar with him as well, Dave McKnight up in Moncton, uh, who uh, does a little bit of blogging on the side. Um, He made it a point uh, to mention that, you know, uh, Moncton was one of two teams uh, that were the highest seeded of of the first round opponents in the CHL, not just the Q, in the CHL that saw a something like a 25% or higher decline in attendance. The only other team that had a greater decline in attendance was the Ottawa 67s because they had to play the first round in Gatineau as opposed to the Ottawa Civic Center, which has half the capacity. But um, and, and from what I can understand, what the Moncton Wildcats have done in response 
to um, those first round attendance woes, uh, they've actually up ticket prices for the second round, which, you know, I call that a bold strategy uh, myself. Um, certainly going the opposite of the St. John Sea Dogs, which, you know, they're provincial rivals. Maybe this is just all part of the ploy. But, um, you know, if you weren't getting people in the building at uh, your previous rate, I don't know if this is the way to go personally. <laughs> I okay, I'm gonna play a little bit of devil's advocate here though, because like I, I have a hard time putting this all on the teams because like in theory, in theory, in a perfect world, you should be able to raise ticket prices for the playoffs because you would think in theory the demand would be there for playoffs. And like I kind of look at okay, you know, we can talk about marketing, we talk about ads, whatever. Uh, but like, why do people not want to go to playoff games? Like, I think that's, that's kind of a big issue for me. Um, and like, I kind of go back to all the conversation we had a long time ago about possible changes to the regular season format. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I, is anyone really excited to see Moncton and Bay Camo in the first round, like two teams that play each other twice no. a year. And like, I kind of go back to what I mentioned about changing the format, um, if Moncton and Bay Camo had played throughout the year and they had a good rivalry, maybe there is more interest. Um, and I look to next year, they're going to play each other twice in the regular season after playing an unbelievable, one of the best playoff series ever. Um, mm -hmm. And they're just going to play each other twice and like that rivalry might just go away. So I, I just, I feel like there's a little bit more to it than just lack of marketing. Like I feel like why, why are people not into the playoffs compared to other markets? Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I'll follow that up by saying, yeah, okay, you wouldn't expect Moncton to Bay Camo to be a big draw, but the series did go seven games, mm -hmm. and four of the six games before that went to overtime. Um, you get 3,100, I know it was a Tuesday night, but you get 3,100 people in the, in the building for a game seven. Um, I've been in that building in game set. Well, sorry, I haven't been in that building per se, but I've been in Moncton for game sevens. Um, and more like second round, like I think Halifax 2015 and way back when they faced the Quebec Ramparts in like 2000, those games were held in the middle of the week. They were like Mondays, Tuesdays, something like that. And they sold out both games. Um, so I don't know what the disconnect here is, but I will say this much. And yes, you know, there is something to be said for, yes, you should be able to increase ticket prices. But I think you should also be able to say that when you get to a certain point in the playoffs, um, if you find the attendance is not increasing, there is something to be said for looking within yourself as an organization and figuring mm -hmm. out, especially an organization like that, where let's be honest, money is not an issue mm -hmm. and saying, what can we do at least now? Maybe they don't want to set a bad precedent, which, okay, I can sort of understand mm -hmm. that. But at the end of the day, um, I don't think it's that considering how close that series was, Jamie, I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility to say that had something been done that had gotten another couple thousand or, you know, two, three, four thousand people in that building, bring seats 8,800 in that building for something as early as game six, who's to say that the crowd momentum prevents there from being a game seven or, or if there is a game seven, makes it a very makes it more of a one-sided affair because you get the crowd behind you instead it sounded yeah. like a morgue um and and by the way and i will say this too and i've said this before it is not totally on the teams like fans in moncton like get your crap together 
get to the rink. If it's at all feasible, get to the rink. If you're a business leader, get to the rink or failing that, get other people to the rink through ticket sales. Do something. But that's that, that was pitiful. Uh, that, yeah. that first round series. And I think it's kind of a little bit of everything. Nobody, like everybody's just sort of just letting the status quo be what it is. Yeah. But um, we'll see what happens tomorrow night. Game three of that series uh, between the Halifax Mooses. You'd think that the Mooseheads will surely draw a bigger crowd. It's now the second round. It's a Wednesday night, yes. But, you know, there's a few more factors at play here. So we'll see what the attendance is. We'll see if Moncton can keep things competitive. We do know there will be a game five down here in Halifax on Sunday afternoon. Um, and if you want to listen to me uh, kind of trip over my words, uh, I will be joining uh, my good friend Marty Kingston, uh, the Wildcast radio announcer on um, on the radio for that. I will not uh, uh, divulge the uh, details, but I'll put it on Twitter or something like that. You can all make fun of me, um, even more so than usual. So while the playoffs are taking place, award season has also started in the queue. Of course, the Quebec League, uh, since, uh, since the pandemic, uh, have been rolling out the awards during the playoffs as opposed to having a, a gala event. Uh, they've already put out a couple of awards, uh, three awards, actually. Two of them went to the same person. Maxime Massey has won the Q Rookie of the Year and the Offensive Rookie of the Year. Marcus Kiersey of the Charlottetown Islanders named the Defensive Rookie of the Year. Um, I don't know about you, Jamie. Massey as Rookie of the Year and Offensive Rookie of the Year, not surprised. Um, would have been surprised if there was anybody else, quite frankly. Um, Marcus Kiersey as Defensive Rookie of the Year tells me that, you know what, I think it, it's kind of refreshing to know that the team, that the league, whoever's voting upon these, and I'm not quite sure who it is, uh, is taking time to really dig in deep and put and put everything into context on on what makes people truly worthy award winners and not just looking at the stats because Marcus Marcus Kiersey is a pretty savvy choice and I think it's a very good one yeah and definitely not you know not if you're a Q fan probably not a household name yet um you know kind mm -hmm. of a, a second round pick Charlottetown's top pick in the draft um uh, you know played a Ross and Otherwood last year a Newfoundlander not not too many Newfoundlanders get drafted in the Q these days um, pretty good numbers as a, as a 16-year-old uh, defenseman. But like you said, I mean, um, this had to have been a pick made by people who really watch because, you know, for a, a defenseman on, you know, a pretty average to bad team to, to win that award, so it really says something. Um, mm -hmm. And then, yeah, Massa, I mean, that, that's, that was a pretty easy choice. I think this is a guy we're going to be talking about a ton uh, next year, especially on a Shikudmi team. That's probably going to be pretty good the next couple of years. He's going to look good on that big ice, Jamie. I, I guess. <laughs> huge. 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 Yes. Um, next award, by the way, that's going to be uh, announced by the league is going to come out uh, on Thursday. It's going to be the Frank J. Selkie Trophy, which, of course, in the NHL, that's for the best uh, defensive forward, which uh, I think I would have no problem, by the way, with uh, petitioning to name that the Patrice Bergeron Trophy after he's retired. And this is coming from not a Bruins fan. Um, but in the queue, it's for the most sportsmanlike and effective player. I love how they put that little caveat, sportsmanlike <laughs> and effective player. So uh, it's... Uh, Zach O'Brien Award. The Zach O'Brien Award, yes. Um, and I am going to go into story time for like 50, 50 like a minute or less here because... You know, Connor's just like, he's not even paying attention to us anyway. He's just watching the yeah, game anyway. Yeah, Leafs are on, so whatever. He's just, I'm going to have to yell, stop recording at the end of this. Um, but um, 
Uh, Zach O'Brien, for people who don't remember, was infamous for when I say don't take not taking a penalty, I mean like never taking a penalty. I think he went the first three years of his Q career without taking a penalty, and he was well into his final season, like fifty goal scorer, by the way, in the in the Q, as Jamie you probably recall. I was I was elsewhere, um, but uh, it was a game in Moncton. Uh, O'Brien, who was Moncton property, played his entire career of own junior with uh, Bathurst. Uh, Bathurst was in Moncton. I wasn't at the game. I actually got four or five different texts from various people, including pictures, that, uh, because that night Zach O'Brien took his first minor penalty in the league, and it might have been the only one he ever took in his Q career. Um, and I had, yeah, I had photos of him in the box. It's like Bigfoot sighting photos. Here. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it was news. It, it actually made minor headlines actually. And it, I think it was like it, it, Neil Hodge, uh, who used to write for the times and transcript here in Moncton or up in Moncton. I think it was like in like the lead paragraph of his story as well. Um, but, um, yeah, Zach, uh, was, uh, renowned for uh, being the most sportsmanlike player, like, on the planet and uh and that award will be announced by the league on thursday thomas belgard from victoriaville by the way along with tilio biasca and halifax and justin Robida in quebec are the three nominees one, this year one thing i'll add to that o'brien story will um yeah. i looked at his numbers today um mm -hmm. he is he's 30 years old now and he's played pro since leaving the junior so he's got quite a few games under his belt he still yep. never reached double digits in penalty minutes in his that career. That is amazing. Yeah, he, he had eight. He had eight penalty minutes with the Growlers this season. So he's what pretty a much a now. Yep. What a goon! Yes. Um, I mean, it's twofold. First of all, obviously you're not fighting, like you know. Um, yeah, and Connor, uh, jump in. Connor uh, mentions too. You know, especially in the ECHL, that is pretty impressive. Yeah. And yeah, totally agree on that front. And he even he played in the queue when things were, you know, I mean, it was after a lot of the gratuitous violence, uh, not that that would have affected him, but after a lot of those, you know, uh, a lot of those players had come and gone through the league, but still it was, it was a tougher league even then. Oh yeah. But, you know, a lot, and a lot of that comes down to, you know, you're not even taking sticking, sticking fractions. You're not taking hooks or holds or anything. The positioning in the hockey yeah. sense that it takes to not force yourself to take those penalties um, says a lot, but um, that, that is pretty awesome that uh, he's, uh, that he's still, I mean, I, I'd be surprised if he started to goon it up, but uh, the fact that he's still keeping it under double digits is quite remarkable. Um, we're going to talk about uh, the St. Louis blues next. They are our NHL team profile. And ironically, um, uh, we're we're going to talk about uh, a, a couple of guys here. I think as we get down further in the list, that um, are no strangers to the penalty box, and specifically no strangers in one case that I recall very well to the suspension rules as well. Uh, we'll get to them in a moment, but there are a couple of uh, drafted players in the queue right now: Mark Andre Gadet and Zachary Bolduc. And what's um, interesting here, Jamie? It's, uh, I think, the first time I've seen this on any of these team previews that we've done of uh, the uh, the guys, uh, every guy who is in the league still drafted by that respective team was actually traded by their junior club since they were drafted into the NHL. 
Yeah, that's weird. Um, you know, in St. Louis, I, I was actually surprised doing this as well. Like how much, how many Q connections they have? Because like it doesn't really feel like they're they're a Q heavy organization, but the, it's been pretty relevant uh, over the past few years. So uh, this was an interesting one. Yeah, Marc Andre Gaudet from Sherbrooke, uh, Zachary Balduk from Quebec, uh, both Blues prospects, and obviously. Um, big name players in this postseason, especially Ball Duke coming off 110 point season. Um, mm-hmm. Huge part of that Ramparts offense. Uh, I kind of feel like we underrate him a little bit because I feel like he's kind of lived in the shadows. Maybe not. Maybe that's just the, the maritime in us a little bit, but he's kind of lived in the shadows of uh, of Joshua Waugh and Jordan Dume. Uh, yeah. But like, it doesn't. It doesn't. Just doesn't feel like he gets as much attention as those two. Um, and then no, Gaudet, definitely- go ahead. He definitely doesn't get get a lot of attention by Team Canada, but that's a different story for oh, different <laughs> That is true. Um, and then Godet, I think Godet was a huge ad by Sherbrooke uh, yes. at the deadline. I, you know, they're they're an offensively gifted team, but to add him to their defensive group um, to play in that, I know they've had him in that second pairing behind the top pairing of Hines and Spotcheck, which is very good. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're definitely a team that scores a lot, but playoff time you need to keep the puck out of your net too and i think he's a he's a huge uh, huge ad for them uh, i think he's going to be a, a big player in the playoffs yeah phoenix were such a heavy team before the trade lane deadline started and to bring a guy like him and and parachute him onto the blue line the way that they did was just phenomenal I'm talking to uh, stefan julia uh, after the trade period that he said like he mark andre Gadet was mark andre Gadet was basically their first target on the trade on the trade market um, Jacob Melanson was high on their list as well. Uh, but Gadet really was their guy because of the philosophy of just having as heavy of a decor as possible. And, you know, it's paying dividends, obviously, right now. Yeah. We'll continue to do so. I think it's safe to say for definitely this round and probably another round, maybe two. Um, AHL. So we mentioned, uh, or I don't know if you mentioned this already, Jamie, but, uh, you know, uh, you know, surprising amount of Q guys drafted by the Blues in recent times. Eleven guys in the past ten drafts, and that's not including Zach Dean as well, who is uh, now Blues property thanks to uh, right. that uh, trade deadline acquisition by the Vegas Golden Knights of another, excuse me, another former Q guy, Ivan Barbashev. Um, but uh, in the AHL, no surprise, there's five guys there: Mikhail Abramov, Nikita Alexandrov, Matthias Laferriere, Matthew Highmore, Marty Furk. We've got three guys on that list with President's Cups to their uh, to their name in Abramov, Highmore, and Firk. In the case of Marty Firk, of course, a Memorial Cup as well. Yep, and uh, looking at Springfield's numbers right now, Firk leads them in scoring the regular season. Highmore second. So those, this is a really this is a really good Springfield team. I saw them play last year, obviously, um, in spring in Springfield. Uh, they were a good team last year, and they're a good team this year, even though they've had some roster turnover. So. Um, cool to see a lot of Q guys on that team. And there's, there's a lot of guys on this list. Like these aren't, uh, you know, obscure Q guys. Like these are all uh, pretty big name guys when they were in junior. Um, mm-hmm. So cool to see them still uh, producing at the AHL level. Uh, Highmore, a little surprised he didn't get um, more playing time in the NHL this season. Just given where Especially the Blues are. Especially yeah. second half too. Yeah. Yeah. Just given where the Blues are at. And he spent all year last year with the Canucks. Um, so yeah. a little, little surprise. I think he only played in one game, uh, maybe two. All year with the, with the Blues, yeah, no, very good, uh, and and a good kid too as well. Yep. He's uh, 
I'm uh, I'm uh, one of I'm one of the uh, coordinators for the uh, Maritime NHL the uh, Maritime NHL is for Kids Golf Tournament down here every summer. Matthew has attended uh, on a couple of occasions. Just 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 a solid kid who's really not a kid anymore, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, of course, Marty Furk, of course, who's bounced up and down from the NHL quite a bit as well. Uh, great, you know, leading the Springfield. Thunderbirds in scoring and uh, with a lot of experience under his belt. Um, as far as the guys in the queue, uh, there's Sammy Blay and there's Marco Scandella. Um, and here's where I mentioned the suspension roles because Marco Scandella, who's had a very lengthy career, 700 NHL games, which kind of creeps up to, on you after a while. Then you realize he's been out of the queue for 13 years. But uh, Marco Scandella really kind of a pedestrian guy, like a solid defenseman, uh, both in the NHL and his time in junior. But uh, so one one year actually managed to get himself suspended 15 games for a flying elbow to the head of an opponent. So uh, he wouldn't be high on my list of guys to actually do such a thing. But uh, sure enough, he, uh, he managed to uh, put together one of the longer suspensions in QMJHL history. So um, certainly not the Zach O'Brien of the uh, St. Louis Blues by any stretch of imagination. Maybe more like the Zach LaRue of the uh, St. Louis Blues, but uh, certainly a memorable name from the past in the NHL. And both those guys, again, like those are two guys. I don't know if I really would have picked them to make it into the NHL in the last this long. Um, it's, it's been funny doing this exercise all year and like the amount of guys mm-hmm. who um, had – I don't want to say, you know, don't want to come across like saying like irrelevant and below average junior careers, but you know, they weren't, you know, they weren't prospects. They weren't, yeah, exactly. Exactly. They, they weren't, weren't like blowing my minds right with numbers yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So cool to absolutely. see them uh, carve out careers. Yeah. Also fun fact, Marco Scandella, his uh, older brother, Mario, uh, played in the queue back in the late nineties, early two thousands, mostly with the uh, Halifax Moose. And I think we're in Aranda joined team Italy um, for the uh, Turin Olympics back in 2006. So the more you know there you go um finishing off with the 2023 draft prospect of the week and this is actually great timing it coincides with the day that the uh, final nhl sierra csr listings were released again we're recording on a tuesday night and there's a name that not only appears on the list for the first time but a appears relative rather high for a guy who wasn't on the list up to this point and b a guy that you are very familiar with jamie cole burbage from the st john sea dogs yeah and he was part of this 2021 draft class that the sea dogs did and this was kind of a, a hidden draft class they essentially had a big um group of prospects they picked um in 2021 and then essentially just just kept them all in the under 18 leagues wherever they were playing uh, While well, they went all in to, to host the Memorial Cup um, and managed to keep a lot of those prospects too, which is pretty impressive. And Burbage is one of those guys they were able to keep. Um, played in Rhode Island. It, it kind of looked like he might go the NCAA route, but they managed to get him to commit. And they committed pretty early to the Sea Dogs too, uh, which was a little bit surprising just given where, you know, where the Sea Dogs are going in their rebuild. But um, had a huge, uh, had a really good season, had a huge second half. Uh, 33 points once the calendar turned to 2023, 50 points total, uh, really good numbers for even for a 17 year old. Um, don't want to say he was a steal as a second round pick by the Sea Dogs yet. I think it's a little early to, 
say he's a steal, but definitely kind of going in that direction. Looks like a really strong um, second round pick by the Sea Dogs. And uh, with Brady Burns graduating, we don't know what Peter Reynolds, uh, he might, if he's going to be traded or not this off season. Um, so he's, he's going to be a key part to the St. John offense next season. Um, I'm, I'm, I think he's got a pretty good uh, development curve going. I'm glad to see him getting some attention because he was uh, really, really excellent uh, in the second half. Yeah. And, and really, and this is something that you can't really say for many 16 or 17 year olds uh, in, in this league or, or any junior league, a guy who you mentioned that strong second half team who really turned it up at a time when it was needed the most, not only were the Sea Dogs uh, hunt in the hunt for a playoff spot, uh, but you know, they, they had their share of injuries, you know, guys yep. in and out of the lineup uh, uh, for for either shorter or somewhat moderate uh, periods of time. Guys like Reynolds, Burns, um, key guys who just, uh, yep. um, you know, that void needed to be filled. And uh, Cole Burbage was more often than not the the consistent factor that was filling those spots and, uh, and, and gaining the experience and making the most of it. So anytime you can see that happen, no matter – where somebody's picked in the draft uh, to, to come on at that particular time under those particular circumstances. I think it's safe bet to understand why he's uh, found his way into the CR- CSR listings. He's ranked yeah. 110, by the way, amongst North American skaters, uh, which gives him uh, more than a puncher's chance, I would think, to uh, be mm-hmm. selected by a team. Um, but congratulations to Cole and everybody else who made the final rankings. Of course, we're going to keep talking about those prospects uh, week after week as the playoffs roll on and our broadcasts continue. Uh, we should be back next week. I don't plan on leaving the country. Of course, I'm generally not the issue when it comes to leaving the country. Uh, so maybe we should press uh, Mr. Tozer for that one. Uh, if you're in a position to uh, chat uh, next week, Jamie, uh, we will definitely be doing so. Sounds good. You think you're good? Okay. Yeah, I think I'm good. Yeah, let's think I'll stick around here for a couple weeks anyway. Good for you. Excellent. All right. Looking forward to it. Anyway, by the time you talk to us uh, next week, uh, probably a safe bet that the third round matchups will, if they're not totally decided, will be almost completely decided. Um, might be you know, maybe a game seven between Moncton and St. in Halifax with things really, really take a dramatic turn. But uh, we'll be talking about all that and more next week. For Jamie, I'm Will. Thank you once again watching and listening to THN on the queue brought to you by BetMGM.